Welcome to Speak Up for Safer Care. This is our second episode entitled Resiliency Amid a Pandemic. I'm your host, John Sims, Director of Safer Care Texas, and with me is our co-host, Leanne Cunningham, and Assistant Director. Hi, John. Thank you for having me. Welcome, listeners. Happy to talk with you today. Yes, thank you for listening today. Safer Care Texas is the Patient Safety Division at the University of North Texas Health Science Center in Fort Worth, Texas, where it is our mission to challenge traditional thinking to eliminate preventable harm. Speak Up for Safer Care illuminates gaps in care, process, or design that lead to preventable harm in all healthcare settings. Please follow us via our website, safercaretexas.org, and on social media via Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Leanne, what a pleasure it was for Jessica Mark Grangell to the fine patient safety last week. Absolutely. A certified professional in patient safety, it was a pleasure to listen to her talk and an educational opportunity as well. I hope all of our listeners take time to listen and enjoy that podcast. Agreed. Very much looking forward to our discussion today with Dr. David Farmer as we learn resiliency amid a pandemic. Another expert in the field. Hi, John and Leanne. It's good to be with you today. Absolutely. Thank Hi, Dr. You. Farmer. Thank you, Dr. Farmer. Um, so, Dr. Farmer is in a, the Executive Director of Interprofessional Practice and Behavioral Health here at the Health Science Center. He is also an Assistant Professor of Medical Education with the Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine, or TCOM, and he's a clinical executive for Safer Care Texas, where he promotes team development, patient safety, and psychological safety. Dr. Farmer is also a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist. Dr. Farmer established interprofessional education partnerships with TCU, UT Arlington, Texas Wesleyan, uh, allowing for collaboration across 11 health professions. He leads initiatives in interprofessional faculty and clinical preceptor development. He co-leads uh, health science center initiatives in emotional intelligence, recognition, and development with students, faculty, and staff. And Dr. Farmer is an expert in psychological safety and emotional intelligence. He is definitely a welcome addition to Safer Care Texas and a wonderful collaborative partner. Certainly. Absolutely. So, Dr. Farmer, this COVID-19 pandemic, which we think is over, but it always rears its, its ugly head with Omicron variant now, um, but it severely impacted our healthcare workers. Um, those once hailed as heroes have now been kind of characterized as villains, and they and they struggle with burnout. How can our healthcare workers recover from physical and emotional stress brought on, brought on by the pandemic? Well, John, it uh, it definitely has impacted healthcare. Uh, we've seen the great, uh, what's being called the great resignation really across all fields at this point with people leaving the field and uh, actually changing careers at this point. I talked to someone recently who uh, works with a program with respiratory therapists, and they're actually having problems now, even in the educational program for respiratory therapists, attracting students into those programs. And so we're seeing the trickle-down effect where it's not only impacting the profession, but also those training programs involved. And so I think as we talk today, we're going to talk about some factors 
Um, a big part of it is recognizing what's going on and recognizing it early. Just like many of the treatable diagnoses that we talk with patients about, it's so key to identify it early and to begin treatment and management early. Mm -hmm. The same thing for burnout with our healthcare professionals. Let's identify it early and let's begin to treat and manage it early so that we don't get to the point where they're actually exiting their careers, changing careers, um, and creating this void that we're beginning to see now with not enough healthcare providers. Absolutely. Prevention is the key. Absolutely. So, Dr. Farmer, you mentioned burnout. What are the symptoms of burnout? You know, really, there's three primary symptoms associated with it. And, and really, if you're going to define burnout, what is it? It's a prolonged response to chronic emotional and interpersonal stressors on the job. And, and really, what you see are three primary symptoms. You'll see exhaustion, the feelings of being overextended, depleted of your emotional and physical resources. Often, you see cynicism sometimes called depersonalization. It's that negative callous or excessively detached response to aspects of the job. And then the third of these is inefficacy, just feelings of incompetence, a lack of achievement, a lack of productivity at work. Okay, so we use the word burnout. Yes. What's another word for burnout? I ask that only because I'm not a healthcare professional. I am a staff member here at the university system, and I'm curious because as we went through the COVID pandemic, working remotely from home, I felt COVID fatigue. Is that similar to burnout? How would you address burnout from a different perspective in a descriptive way, not using that word? So the fatigue could be a part of it. Really, the best way to look at it or in light of those three symptoms, exhaustion. So are you experiencing exhaustion? And it seems related to, again, that prolonged stress associated with work. Now, part of that stress may be the isolation that you experience during COVID, being away, maybe the Zoom fatigue, being on, on Zoom all the time instead of person to person. That cynicism, did, did you find yourself... Uh, just having a hard time connecting with others or maybe experiencing the empathy that historically you would have felt for others. And then just that inefficacy, that sense of, I just can't get things done. I'm not productive. I'm not good at what I do anymore. Now, they've kind of created a new term, relatively new in a sense, that's really associated more with health professionals and even with um, our um, our first responders, and it's called compassion fatigue, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's the physical, emotional, and psychological impact of helping others, often through experiences of stress or trauma. And we're seeing a lot of compassion fatigue among our first responders and our healthcare professionals. Um, often that's brought on by just that stressful work environment a lack of resources. We heard a lot of complaints during COVID of just lack of resources, the inability to get the resources for Absolutely. patients. Or excessive hours, uh, that workload, just working and not getting any relief. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, our workforce has dwindled, that's for sure. So I I, I, I understand that. I, I thank you for that. Can you tell our audience the difference between compassion fatigue more and 
with burnout? I know you mentioned it, and you kind of basically gave us an example. Could you elaborate a little bit more for us, please? Yeah, the you know, the, the compassion fatigue, again, kind of a specialized term for those health professionals and first responders, um, can lead to more long-term burnout uh, at the same time. So often what you're seeing with them is that almost the um, vicarious trauma that they're experiencing of having gone through this with their patients. Uh, we, we probably all saw examples of that on TV of our healthcare professionals who were with patients who their family members couldn't be with them. And some of those family members passing without having family members physically there with them and where our healthcare providers stepped in to be there, to be that connection with the person or to help connect them with family members during that time. Long-term, going through that day after day has a prolonged impact on you at that point. Now, it might lead to that cynicism or that that kind of difficulty with compassion. You're just burnt out. You're just uh, so overloaded that you feel like that you have nothing left to offer. So certainly the compassion fatigue can lead to more long-term burnout um, if, if, again, some relief doesn't occur for our healthcare providers. Interestingly, uh, last week, um, Jessica discussed uh, human frailty, and not from a physical perspective, but from healthcare workers and that they're humans, right? And so when you're when you're a human and you're put in a stressful environment all of those things the emotional fatigue the stress of hey when's this pandemic going to end maybe i had a bad night with my you know my significant other um maybe i'm worried about something right um well i'm not going to perform as well if i'm in those conditions and uh, the suggestion was that we need to establish trust within our coworkers to say hey I'm not my best today. Can you please get my back so that we can make sure we're we're providing safe care? Sure. We really have to create a, an environment of psychological safety to do that. Many of us who've trained in healthcare trained under a culture of endurance. Um, and, and that really supports the endurance of pain or hardship without emotional expression. And it really negates complaints as weakness. And so when you think about what you just suggested, to, if I were to say to you, John, I'm just not at my best today. And if we both came up in a culture of endurance, mm -hmm. you know, you, you might see that as weakness in me. Okay. Now, in an environment of psychological safety, recognizing that human frailty uh -huh. that Jessica talked about, then we realize that, of course, you've been going through this. You know, it makes sense that you wouldn't be your best today. How can I support you? How can I help you today during this time? Exactly. And it should be a strength and not a weakness. Absolutely. So explain to us a few potential harms that patients may be at risk for while we have this, this current uh, widespread burnout? Well, certainly we know that uh, burnout uh, physicians, and I'm going to use physicians in this one because sure. uh, a lot of research has been done around this. Burnout physicians are two times as likely to be involved in patient safety incidents. And so we, we know that two times more likely if they're burnout, two times as likely to deliver suboptimal care to patients. They're three times more likely to receive low satisfaction ratings from their patients. Mm. They're more likely to leave practice early. Wow. And the suicide rates are higher 
than in the general population among physicians who are burnout. Okay. So when we talk about those conditions, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's pretty scary when you think about that. All right. Sure. So right. certainly patient safety is involved with this. Quality of care is involved with it. The well-being of our providers is also a factor in the midst of this. Interesting uh, point. I was just reading something before we um, we started the podcast today. Uh, it was uh, data, uh, but it, it showed that um, Texas is number 50 when it comes to providers and, and the number of providers in the state. Uh, and there were a lot of other startling statistics. I don't want to detract from our conversation today, but it does it does speak to what we've been discussing about our depleted workforce already. And they're they're the ones that are still in the workforce. They're they're burnout. They have compassion fatigue. Well, it's so important that we recognize this and we address it. Several months ago, I. Uh, went to be with my mom who had mm. to be transported to the emergency room. And so I, I got there after she'd already been in the emergency room for a couple of hours. And so finally at about two o'clock in the morning, the physician was able to, to see my mom at that point. He had come by a little bit earlier, had apologized it was taking so long, reassured her that he cared about her and wanted to check on her. And then finally about two o'clock in the morning, he was able to do so. Now, this was a Friday night in the emergency room mm -hmm. during COVID, all right? It was overloaded. I was shocked as they took us kind of from the holding area and brought us into the main emergency room area where my mom went into her room. And as we came through, they, they had people triaged on beds out in the hallway, okay? Mm. They had patients in chairs with blankets on them. Okay, so they were treating people everywhere they possibly could. He brought my mom in, and in, in the process of her scene, being seen uh, and released from the hospital, you know, we end up finding out that, that really there was a mistake in the diagnosis. Mm. And she was back in the hospital two days later uh, to, to be treated for the condition that really brought her there in the first place. And so this was a, a, a good physician a compassionate physician, I think a well-trained physician. But at 2 a.m. in the morning, when you're the only physician in a large emergency room that's overrun on that evening, what is, what's the likelihood that you're going to be able to be at your best? Very seldom. I, I was going to ask you how many physicians were there that night, but one physician. There was one physician. And that, that environment that you just painted that stresses me out and I'm not even there. Yeah. yeah. And so what we were concerned about was we, we thought about this physician who we really, really liked, mm -hmm. but I don't know how long he can last under those conditions. Okay. Again, that human frailty that you talked about. And so when I think about this physician, it concerns me that they're going to lose him if they keep him under these conditions. No one can work under those conditions for long. Okay, mm -hmm. so he's going to burn out. He's going to leave, and there's going to be the loss of a great physician. There's going to be the cost to the hospital to have to replace that physician, and so we do. We've got to address this. We've got to find a better way to address this. You know, uh, Dr. Farmer, as a uh, healthcare professional myself, I can remember days when we would be very short-staffed. Maybe the acuity of our patients was much higher than we were accustomed to. 
And I remember trying to, you know, bring my team together and say, hey, guys, we're going to get through this. We just we need to work together. Okay, And but I knew that it was temporary. Right. We had to get through our 12 hour shift. And then that segment of time was over. I cannot imagine going through the pandemic and that it's going to be over never comes. It just continues and continues and continues. And so you get this chronic stress that becomes almost the new normal. That was my question. Is Mm -hmm. this our new normal? Will it ever end? Well, I'm probably the wrong person to ask that question of. I I certainly have hope that it's going to end. I like hope. You know, I I think that um, as we learn more about COVID and the variances of COVID, and we learn to more efficiently treat it, and I do think we're making progress in that area. So do I have hope? Yes, I have hope that this will end. Um, but we've we've got to be proactive in the midst of it. We can't wait for the end to deal with this. We've we've got to be dealing with it in the midst of an ongoing process. Yes, certainly. And so let's let's put myself as the provider in the example that you just shared. Okay, and I'm recognizing, or maybe maybe I'm not recognizing that that I'm burnt out. What what? kind of self-reflection should I endure to check myself for burnout to make sure that I'm given the safest and the best quality care? So maybe one of the the best tools that we can use is mindfulness, all right? Mm -hmm. And that's an intense awareness of what you're sensing and feeling in the moment without judging it. Okay, Mm -hmm. remember we talked about that culture of endurance. And so sometimes if we're feeling tired or we're feeling like I can't go on, you know, we'll we'll kind of chide ourselves. We'll get on to ourselves. No, suck it up and just keep going. And so the mindfulness helps us to do that self-check of, you know, what am I feeling right now? What am I thinking right now? What am I sensing in the environment around me? Certainly the other is giving permission to our colleagues Mm. to watch our backs. Right. So if Leanne sees that I'm having a bad day or it looks like I'm having a bad day and I've given Leanne permission, hey, Leanne, see something, say something. And so if she comes to me and says, David, it, it looks like you're struggling today. You just don't seem happy today. What's going on? All right. If I've given her that permission, it's going to be easier for me to tell her the truth. Okay, sure. uh, you know I've I've worked too many hours in a row. I I've heard so many sad stories. I I don't know that I can hear another one today. I'm frustrated and I'm losing hope at this point. Can you encourage me, Leanne, at this point? So mindfulness and then certainly giving permission to those around us to to kind of keep an eye on us. Mindfulness and permission. That sounds like psychological safety to me and trust amongst the team. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think another thing, John, that that I heard you mention a while ago, you talked about that you would try to pull your team together. And really, research is indicating that the best leadership characteristic is actually empathy, mm-hmm. all right? That ability to um, understand what someone else is feeling, what they're going through. Okay, And in some ways to kind of put yourself in their shoes in the sense of that, gee, if I were experiencing this, I might feel that as well. And I I kind of sense some of that from what you said to your team. Hey, this is difficult. We will make it through it. It's really interesting. Excuse me. It's really interesting when leaders are empathetic. um, Actually, what they find is that 
the corporation level of their team increases. Mm-hmm. That actually work-life balance gets better. Mm. And that's one of the things we're hearing is of concern right now. Um, inclusivity is felt among the team, mm-hmm. okay? And there's, there's a list of others, but engagement improves as well. Sure. But certainly if you're a leader mm-hmm. of a team during this time, the best characteristic, the best tool that you can use with your team is to be empathetic with your team. Sure. And and, and I appreciate you pointing that out, empathy. I um, I wish I could say that was my first thought. It, it was, but it was way down deep in there. My focus was more, I'm the leader. If I freak out like they are, we're going to lose everybody. The leader has got to have some sense of you know, a strategy, somebody to follow, and that that is under control. Uh, otherwise, like I said, everybody will just go off the rails. See, and I feel like empathy is important. When you said, see something, say something, you're affording me the opportunity to take that lead in that moment, the lead to take that time to ask you if you're okay and to help you right. maneuver through that process. Yes. I might not be the leader of the group, but you will, I feel, retain people and you will give them that sense of value that they feel confident and comfortable in the the trust factor of speaking up because you did say, hey, I'm here for you right? and I want to help you. Well, you know, you talked about emotional intelligence and part of emotional intelligence is certainly the ability to manage our emotions in difficult times, right? right. And so as a leader... I heard you saying you want to be able to model that for your team. Sure. But I think you also have to model emotional self-awareness, right? That mindfulness that I talked about. So I do believe there's a balance there that that you can model that I, too, am experiencing difficulty during this time. Here's how I'm going to work to manage it. And then offering to our team perhaps some of those strategies that might be helpful. One of the best strategies is the ability to open up and talk about what you're going through and to have that heard by someone, mm-hmm. okay, without judgment. Without judgment. I agree. And you know, when you were talking, Dr. Farmer, I was thinking about executive leadership, the higher – I think th- that level needs to um, – needs to be safe and and empowered to be vulnerable as well to emulate those behaviors. Otherwise, it, it doesn't usually take with the rest of the staff. So yeah, you're you're right. If the executive leadership and and all the higher leaders can can kind of show, hey, I'm human too. And right now I'm having a bad day. I need somebody to to get my back. Right. I think then then the staff will say, hey gosh, they're doing it. So I guess it's the right thing to do. That Friday night at the ER with my mom, I would have loved to have seen some of the hospital administration there in the ER pitching in. Okay. Now, there are certain things I wouldn't want them to do if they weren't trained, right? Absolutely. But there were things they could have been doing. Okay. Even if it were just giving us updates, you know, we're getting to you. Okay. Yes, it's it's 11 p.m., and, and it may still be some time before we see you, but you're going to be seen. We're here for you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, certainly with morale, might that help if we see some of that leadership down with the rank and file, you know, pitching in, doing the best they can to help out during that time. So I like that model of leadership that you're talking about. Thank you. You know, when you said Friday night in the ER, 
I was thinking about our systems thinking game that we do with our students. Yeah. And Friday night in the ER. <laughs> Friday night in the ER, yeah. Great Safer Care Texas, TCOM collaboration. Thank you, Breakthrough Learning, for letting us purchase and participate in playing these games. And Absolutely. I've got to tell you, I help facilitate that game with you guys. And uh-huh. to be in the ER on a Friday night during COVID, you know, spoke volumes to me and uh, really, really enlightened at my facilitation uh, to the game mm-hmm. uh, with our students. You um, never thought it was going to come to that, though, did you? No, I, I thought all of a sudden I thought I popped into the simulation of Friday night at the ER. But unfortunately, it was not a simulation. It was real life. Wow. Well, Dr. Farmer, I want to ask you a question. What has inspired you to specialize in emotional intelligence and psychological safety? I think working with uh, students, training students, and realizing that the social and emotional skills around emotional intelligence can be taught. They can be improved. And so we do have the ability to continue to grow our emotional intelligence. Okay. Now, I'll personally speak to one of my areas of emotional intelligence that I that was my lowest lowest used uh, social and emotional skill related to emotional intelligence was flexibility. Mm. And so, for the past three years, I've been working to build my flexibility, the social emotional skills around flexibility, and I know I've made progress because my family will respond to me. And they'll let me know that I'm being more flexible. And my colleagues will let me know. And so it's definitely improved my work relationships, my home relationship by working on flexibility. So it excites me to know that we have the ability to make those changes, to grow in those areas, and that it can impact not only our personal, but our professional life. I do believe that you were a catalyst in making that happen within the culture of HSC. I think that you have have enabled us to have that open door policy and feel that safety of being transparent and gaining trust. And I thank you as an employee in the system for that. You've exhibited social psychological safety with me many times, and I, I know others as well. And it, it's it's such a pleasure to have you sitting here today. And I want to thank you for coming and sharing your knowledge and your expertise with our audience. Well, thank you, Leanne. And that's very the, what you've said to me is very sweet. It's very meaningful. I really appreciate it. From the bottom of my heart. I believe you. And so my point is made. You're an executive director. And this is this is your your attitude is is you know flexibility something you need to work work on. You say you've made progress, but you have the psychological safety to explain that to your to your colleagues and look at all the people who have been impacted. Yeah, so, absolutely. Bravo. Well, thanks. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So I'd like to thank our listeners and Dr. Farmer again for coming. I want to encourage our listeners to speak up. Please advocate for yourself your family, your friends, and your colleagues. Safer Care Texas does want to hear from you, so please consider being our next guest. If you're a healthcare worker, a counselor, a subject matter expert, a former patient or a caregiver, if you have a patient safety story that you'd like to share, please make sure that it's HIPAA compliant and contact us. You can contact us through our website at www.safercaretexas.org or as a reminder, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram.